Hi, everybody. This is Kara Fitzgerald. New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is here every month, bringing you the best minds in functional medicine. And we would not be able to do this over the years without the generous contributions from our sponsors, Metagenics, Integrative Therapeutics, and Biotics Research. The mission of Metagenics is to lead the movement in making personalized nutritional intervention the standard of care in the treatment and prevention of disease and the promotion of optimal health. For over 30 years, Metagenics has been dedicated to scientific discovery, innovative products, unparalleled quality, education, and practitioner partnerships to support lifestyle functional nutrition. For more information, visit Metagenics at metagenics.com. Biotics Research. For four, over 40 years, the foundations of biotics research has been innovation and quality. Their goals remain unchanged. Innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts, and product development with advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques. Biotics nutritional products are of superior quality and effectiveness and available exclusively to healthcare professionals. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Integrative Therapeutics is focused on inspiring a better lifestyle through better health. By providing meticulously formulated nutritional supplements and valuable resources, Integrative Therapeutics promises to enrich your patients and embolden your practice. Welcome to your Integrative Therapeutics. Find them at integrativepro.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where I'm interviewing the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. I'm really excited to have Dr. Mark Hyman returning to our podcast. He's going to be talking about his new book um, and loads of insights, and I'm going to ping him on questions for the clinician. So food, what the heck should I eat? Uh, let me give you his background, although I know you already know it. He is a practicing family physician. He's an 11-time New York Times bestselling author. Mark, I was amazed when I looked at the list of books you've written. Just <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, seriously. It's you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> Massive. Massively prolific. Anyway, he's an internationally recognized leader, speaker, educator, and advocate in the field of functional medicine. You are an amazing advocate for us. He's the Pritzker Foundation Chair in Functional Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine, and he's the Director of Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. Congrats on the massive expansion over there. Uh, he's the Founder and Director of the Ultra Wellness Center, Chairman of the Institute for Functional Medicine, Medical Editor at Huffington Post, and a regular medical contributor to all sorts of media outlets over the years. Mark, welcome back to New Frontiers. I'm so glad to be back. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> you know, I know I, I, I enjoyed our, our last podcast, Tussling with All Things Fat. I mean, I guess I, I appreciate, you know, you've been in our world for a long time and you've been thinking, you know, you've always been very nutrition centric. And um, of course, our world and the greater world moves through all sorts of fads. And it's grounding to write a book called Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm asked that question every day in my practice. Course, right. okay. So I really appreciate you tussling with this. And, um, 
you know, so what the heck should we eat? I just want to, you know, when I lecture at the immune module with Bob Roundtree, he points out the data on vegan diet, NRA, and of course now we're looking at paleo or ketogenic leaning or, or to the other extreme, Esselstein, who's pulled all fat out and heart disease. Yeah. No avocados, I mean, no nuts. No yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what, no wonder we're so confused. And, you know, just comment on this uh, ping pong. Well, you know, there's a bunch of reasons that I sort of uncovered about nutritional confusion. One is that the science itself is challenging to do because it's not like you can take a drug and randomize people to two different medications, follow them, and track what happens. Right. You know, unless you stick people in a lab, in a hospital. And there are a few studies that have done this. For example, there was a study that where they, uh, it was in their 20s, I think, where they put people in a, in a lab for a year and they fed them only meat. <laughs> to see That's what extraordinary. Yeah. And they've done some of these experiments, which are interesting, where uh, studies in mental hospitals where you have 9,000 people randomized to, to saturated fat or, or vegetable polyunsaturated fats, so omega-6s like corn oil. And then you get really amazing results from that. But most of the data we have in nutrition is observational data. It's essentially um, data that can't prove cause and effect. It's correlation only. And what I think most providers, practitioners, scientists don't necessarily understand, unless you're a statistician, is that unless you have a hazard ratio over two, the results are meaningless. So in other words, for smoking, when we, we looked at correlation data with smoking and lung cancer, there was a 20 to 30 fold yes, increase right. in the risk. Right. When you look at nutritional studies, let's say look at the recent cancer and processed meat study, it wasn't a 20 or 30 fold increase. It was a 0.2 increase. Right. So unless the hazard ratio is over two, this is, you know, 10 times less than that. The results could be chance. Yeah. And, and uh, so a lot of the data that, you know, for example, uh, like the, the Nurses Health Study and the Women's Health Initiative were really great examples where we had 50 million women taking hormones because the Nurses Health Study showed that it prevented heart disease was the best since sliced bread. I had patients say to me, my doctor told me it was malpractice if you didn't prescribe hormones to women after menopause. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, this was back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. And then we had the Women's Health Initiative published in 98, which was like, whoa, wait a minute. When we actually did a randomized controlled trial of 130,000 women, which a billion dollar study, guess what? The people who took the hormones did worse. They had heart attacks, strokes, uh, cancer. And the reason they didn't in the nurse's health study was because it was an observational study. And the women who took the hormones were the ones who went to their doctor. They cared about mm -hmm. their health. They were motivated to do healthy behavior. So they ate better. They exercised. They didn't smoke. They didn't drink. They took their hormones like dutiful patients because they're supposed to be good for them. That's why they had less heart disease. It wasn't because of the hormones. In fact, it was the opposite. So we see this, this confusion in science and around meat, it's the same thing. In the era where we thought meat was bad, people were doing these food frequency questionnaires every year and they found that people correlated meat with heart disease. But the truth is that people who were eating meat in those days weighed more, ate more, smoked more, drank more, ate less fruits and vegetables, didn't take their vitamins and right. processed food. It wasn't the meat. You know, when you look at meat eaters and vegetarians who both shopped at health food stores, they're both have their risk reduced in half. So you really have to understand these observational data and how it's correlation, not causation. And then there's a lot of confounding factors. Nutrition studies are extremely hard to do. So that's just sort of a, a basic level. And then you see the other data. I'm oh, sorry, I'm just going to... Yeah, yeah, go, go, go. There's other data, like looking at, for example, I saw today, it was a high-fat diet caused, um, caused trouble with the gut flora that led to you know, more complications with health and disease and diabetes. Well, the truth is that that it depends on what you're eating in the context is. And the high-fat diet they use weren't avocados and nuts and good fats. They were like McDonald's and ice cream and things yes. you just don't want to eat. Because if, if you're eating high sugar, ice cream is sugar and fat and milkshake. It's, it's the worst thing you can eat, right? Even if it's healthy fats, you combine it with sugar, 
It's a disaster. So that's the kind of challenge we have to look through and understand how to interpret the data. So that's the first big thing is the science itself is challenging. Um, yeah. And what were you going to say? And I have a bunch more reasons. <laughs> oh, my God, I know. I, all right. Well, let me just throw out a couple of things. I mean, you know, we've been looking at the keto. We use the ketogenic diet in practice with certain patients. And we, we do the, you know, we, we, we support Safe Reads work and, and work with cancer patients here and, and use that diet. And if you look at the animal studies, you know, there's liver um, liver disease if, if, with, with keto, but it's the same thing as, I'm just backing up what you said, if you look at actually what they're eating when they put them on this quote-unquote high-fat diet, you know, it's complemented with a bunch of, you know, bad carbs, and there's just right. much more going on. So even the animal yeah. data are, are, aren't, aren't reliable. Yeah. Yeah, right, and there's another study, another study, for example, where they looked at, you know, fatty liver and different effect of differential fats, calorie for calorie on the fatty liver, and they found that the, the fats from PUFAs from omega-6 PUFAs, you know, um, they, they caused acceleration of liver damage and inflammation. Whereas when they gave them MCT oil, their livers healed even though they were still feeding them alcohol. So they were literally giving them a poison. And while they gave them the right fat, they actually resolved the problem. So that's pretty interesting. The other reasons we're confused are the media, right? Mm-hmm. Eggs are bad. Eggs are good. Coconut oil is good. Coconut oil is bad. Meat's bad. It's good. It's, it's like you know, one cover of Time Magazine says cholesterol is going to kill you. Another one says eat butter. So consumers are confused. And the third reason is that our policies don't drive proper dietary guidelines and they're corrupt by industry. The National Academy of Sciences just convened a, a group to review the dietary guidelines process and found that they were unduly industry influenced and they ignored huge swaths of data uh, that they didn't even review, like on saturated fats or low carbohydrate diets. And so they really don't reflect the science. And they are often unduly industry influenced. And then, of course, all of our government policies keep people confused. And then the media, the government policies, the corruption of the science, and then, uh, you know, a lot of fads and, you know, competing information out there. So I tried to break through all that, look at the data. I've been studying nutrition for 40 years since I was in college. Uh, and I um, really uh, have been practicing nutritional and functional medicine for 30 years. And so I, I see what happens to people in real life. It's not just an abstract thing where I read a bunch of papers or a book and I'm trying to make sense of it. I'm literally doing these things in real time with people and you actually get to see what happens. It's very humbling. And you know, I used to be vegetarian. I used to recommend low-fat, high-carb diets because uh, that was the, the recommendations. And people weren't get better. Like I would help people get a little better by getting them off junk food, not whole foods. But now I'm getting people off insulin in a week who've been on yeah. insulin for decades. You know, right. <laughs> That just hasn't happened before. All right. That's pretty, that's extraordinary. Um, good. Okay. So that was a lot. That was, uh, that's why we're confused. <laughs> yeah. And well, and not just, you know, not just our patients, but in our community, functional medicine providers, I mean, we're inundated, you know, when do I prescribe this diet or when do I use that? Or, um, you know, do I prescribe veganism to this patient? So talk to me though about, I mean, we did mention, we, so folks, I did podcast with Mark, um, I think it was last year. Um, and so circle back to that because we we drilled down on fat in a, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a remarkable way and it'll be very satisfying to you. Um, but let's just look at meat. We talked about meat in that podcast, but we can touch on it again here. Um, you, yes. You know, just a little bit beyond what you've already said. Are we eating you know, it these days? I mean, what's going on? Well, you know, when you look at, you look at the interesting the guidelines, the dietary guidelines told us to eat less meat eat more chicken, eat less eggs, eat less dairy, eat less saturated fat, eat more grains. And we did all that. Mm-hmm. We literally did all that. If you look at the dietary patterns that are consumed by Americans, we were compliant. 
And we got sicker and fatter than ever, right? We got mm-hmm. sicker and fatter than ever. And that drove so um, much from um, the, the wrong guidelines. And in fact, factory farm meat, I agree, is not something which any of us should consume. It's bad for us, it's bad for the planet, it's bad for the environment, um, bad for the animals. Uh, it, it causes environmental degradation from the nitrogen runoff, and climate change from the methane and the way we grow the food. I mean, it just depletes our water supplies, destroys our soils. It's just not a good thing. Right. But that's a different question than where meat is healthy or not. And I think a lot of the data, again, was this observational data, and it didn't really prove cause and effect. And there's m- much other data that doesn't show that. For example, the 42 country study recently published looked at not just seven countries like Ansel Keys, but looked at 42 food consumption patterns. They found no correlation between animal protein or fat and heart disease, but it actually a correlation with cereal grains and potatoes. The Pure Study, 135,000 people, 10 countries, five continents, I think, uh, again, found over 10 years, found no link between animal products and animal fat uh, and heart disease, but again, a, a, a correlation with um, with uh, cereal grains. Now, here's the thing: if it's a if it's a negative correlation, in other words, if there's no signal, mm-hmm. the likelihood that it's an issue is extremely low, right? If 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 it shows that there's no harm, then it's unlikely that there's really an issue there. So, I think we we have also to look at you know what is the meat consumed with, and what's the consumption patterns, and what's your overall right. diet. You know, when they looked at sort of vegans who were force-fed meat, they found that they they didn't have any inflammatory markers in their blood. It's because it depends on the gut flora. And in this study with the animals, they found that if they gave them a junk food diet and gave them oligosaccharides from, um, you know, uh, from, uh, for, for prebiotics to mm-hmm. feed the good bacteria, they didn't have any adverse effects. That's really interesting. So they, yeah. they fed them a crap diet and then gave them a yeah. prebiotic and they were all good? Pretty much. Oh, my gosh. Note to self. Note to self. Yeah, yeah note to self. Go out, make your with a prebiotic. Right, right. <laughs> um, so we, we uh, you know, we really have, I think, gotten a little bit wrong. And I think, um, you know, the people that eat meat, don't eat meat because it's going to cause climate change bad for the planet. Yes. 70% of our water resources, 70% of our land is used to grow food for animals for human consumption. Not a good idea. I but, got it. Yeah. But, but what's really fascinating is this emerging field of regenerative agriculture, which, which suggests yes. research that you can actually reverse climate change by consuming the right meat. If you consume grass-fed meat and you restore grasslands and you build soils, you actually sequester carbon and you then, the soil is basically a carbon sink like the rainforest. Mm-hmm. And you all actually, the water can be held in the soils. Right now it just runs off and causes floods and then you get droughts. And it's like this horrible situation where we're in this water shortage and it's really bad. But we're using regenerative agriculture, you restore the soils, you hold the water, you prevent droughts and water shortage. You don't need to irrigate, you don't need to, depleter aquifers, you actually sequester carbon. In fact, the studies show that regenerative agriculture can actually bring our carbon levels, if done at scale, back to pre-industrial levels. So we, we have the capacity to really it's change. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. So it turns out we need to be soil farmers and grass farmers. You know, 40% yeah. of the world's surface is grasslands, but we don't really think of how to use those in the right way to support human health. And then the quality of the meat matters too. And if you eat grass-fed finished meat, you're going to have uh, better fatty acid profiles, more nutrients, and uh, and even a little bit better taste. God, that's absolutely that's absolutely great. And there's more. There are more and more resources. In fact, I was just looking at a local resource here in Connecticut with my mom last night. So there are. It's it is it is um, more available. Do you have? I mean, do you have any off the top of your head you would recommend you direct people to for grass fed sources? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's an interesting. Uh, there's an interesting. There's grass. 
fed, and then there's or grass finished, grass, grass, fed, finished, grass finished, and then there's regenerative. And they're ah, got standards, it. Right. So, okay. Thrive Market now has been is the first commercial company. Mm-hmm. You go to thrivemarket.com yeah. to source and sell regeneratively grown meat and also fish. Uh, it's fascinating. And so I, there's a whole new standard that's coming that's beyond organic, beyond sustainable. Because you can, you can have, for example, organic uh, food that they use tilling methods in the soil that create soil erosion and lead to more climate change issues, even if you're eating organic. You can um, you know, eat grass-fed that maybe actually use, use you know, high-potency grass pellets and, or they may be you know, corn-finished or yeah. there's terminology out there that people can get away with you know, a lot of bullshit. Basically, if, you know, I, my rule is if it has a health claim on the label, um, and then you probably should need it. <laughs> so we, re- want to look for, we want to look for regenerative agriculture. Yeah. And yes. Thrive Market is a good place to start. Yes, yes. All right. and, there are, there are all, and in the book, Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? There are all sorts of resources of where to find these products and what companies are doing this and how to do it. Incidentally, if, you, if you've got at your fingertips any of those 623 citations, you just buzzed yeah. off the top of your head, yeah. shoot them to me. Folks, I'll, I'll attempt to get as many of those references as I can. Well, I can just send you a document which has all the references. Okay, perfect. Handy. <laughs> Easy. Okay, good. It's all good. five of them, yeah. Um, all right. So any comments on cholesterol? We've talked about it before. I know the government dietary guidelines basically overturned the whole idea of don't eat cholesterol. Um, Actually, let me ask you this. So a lot of us are getting that cholesterol is not a huge deal. And I want you to comment on some of that background that we've discussed before. But I also want to talk to you about it in the context of our APO for allele patients as well. And if you might nuance these guidelines in that population. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, so for sure, functional medicine is all about personalized medicine and the other genetic heterogeneities in terms of numbers. And I've seen this. You know, I've seen you put them on a ketogenic diet, butter and coconut oil. And their cholesterol drops, you know, 100 points. Their triglycerides drop 200 points. The HDL goes up 30 points. Other people, I see their LDL go way up. Their particle number go way up. I see yeah. a lot of heterogeneity in how people respond to different fats. You can be a increase. You can be a genetically cholesterol synthesizer or a cholesterol high absorber. Yes. And, and there's a lot of variability in in how we handle uh, our dietary fats. Uh, and I think there's a lot of genetics that we're just sort of discovering. I think the same way with statins, there's, there's very statin pa- intolerant patients, but there's others who may do better with statins. And I think we just have to kind of be open to that. I now, think, would yeah. you start an APO4 person on a lower fat, lower cholesterol or, or cleaner fats, unsaturated fat sources, or would you actually just monitor their labs and see how they respond? I what mean, what would you for? For APOE4 mm-hmm. patients, yeah, just I think, yeah, I, I think I would just you know everybody's their own end of one, right? So yeah. so you try different things. Say okay, try this diet, try this diet, do it in the check back in six weeks, and then and then we'll we do the labs and we'll see what happens. And you know you, you can't always predict because yes. these are these are you know not just a single allele that is a, is a problem, right? A single yes, single, these are these are you know multiple connections of slips or you know they call them genome wide associations, and I think everybody's different. You know, some have great detox in one way. Some are terrible in other ways. Some are great methylators in this pathway, but terrible in this pathway. Some have great lipid pathways here, but all shitty ones over here. So yes. really it depends on the whole collection. So I think it's absolutely ultimately you have to sort of see how people respond. And then you look at them as individuals. There's no sort of one recommendation for everybody. Yeah. But there is some sense that APOE4 patients may not want to be having a ton of saturated fat. Mm-hmm. 
but we can we we've got loads of tools and we can look at them in the full picture i agree with you um have you completely moved away from considering calories is that gone from your world yeah um, I mean, or do you, yeah i think i think i don't have people focus on calories i think you know that's the other big myth around food is that food is energy uh, and it's all about energy balance and the whole a whole nutritional medical world the government's recommendations food industry guidelines are all about how it's all about energy balance calories in calories out eat less exercise more that's been really totally unproven and i think that or disproven uh and and the fact is that the quality of the calories matter more than the quantity and that you know you 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 can't for example and you're not going to eat more stuff like in other words you can eat a whole sheet cake but people aren't going to eat 10 avocados right so mm -hmm. you you can't if you eat the right foods you don't have to worry about how much you just have to worry about what and and that makes a huge difference we know that you know the quality matters and that for example fat calories stimulate metabolism cut hunger increase lipolysis uh that they um actually are are much more beneficial speed up metabolism Whereas sugar, starch, calories do the opposite, right? They cause, uh, prevent lipopolysis. They store fat and belly fat. They increase your hunger. They slow your metabolism. Calorie right. for calorie. So we have to sort of get away from that. And, and, and then we know, for example, there was a large study recently published. Uh, we're looking at a randomized trial for a year comparing a low-fat, a low-fat restricted calorie diet uh, compared to a unrestricted high-fat, low-carb diet. And after a year, the ones who had the unrestricted, they could eat as much as they want, low-fat diet had much better weight loss, as well as better lipids and blood sugar, insulin, and everything else. And they were probably able to adhere to it. Yeah, it's a lot harder to stick on a low-fat diet. Right, right. All right, so let's talk about the paleo thing. That's pretty massive um, in, our, in our world and in the greater community. Um, moving away from grains, beans, and dairy. Um, what is your take on why we need to move away from those things? Well, I think, I think that, you know, I, I kind of jokingly created something called the Pegan Diet after sitting on a panel with a vegan cardiologist, Joel Kahn, and my friend Frank Lippin, who's kind of a paleo guy, and they were fighting, and I'm like, you guys, if you're paleo, you're vegan, I must be pegan, and I was sort of laughed. Yes, I remember. Right. I remember that. Were you, there? Were you there? Yeah, yeah, I was there. That was really funny. I, I, yeah, yeah, but go ahead. <laughs> it was like, a just, it just was just a joke. And I was like, wait a minute, there's actually something here. This is actually uh, interesting because there's a lot of things in common. The things that aren't in common are dairy, uh, dairies in common, uh, whole foods in common, low starch and sugar is common, lots of veggies is common, nuts and seeds is common, good fats are common. But uh, the things that aren't are beans, grains, and meat, and eggs, basically. Um, and I think that, um, when you sort of look at the data, uh, you know, it, it, you always have to say compared to what? So if you take a person who's eating a total crappy American diet and you put them on a vegan diet, they're going to do better. Mm -hmm. But if you take someone and you compare them to, let's say a high fat paleo diet versus a low fat vegan diet, they're going to do worse. And we see, we see this over and over. I mean, we need more large scale studies for this, but you know, even the new study that came out of a Gardner study out of Stanford where they looked at, uh, you know, basically whole foods diets that were low fat or high fat, the differences between them were not really significant. I mean, the low carb diet was like 40% carbs, which is not low, low carb. Right. So, um, but, but the point was that people ate whole foods, they both did fine. Uh, but you can, I think, accelerate the, the process of repair and heal metabolism by 
eating, um, you know, more. And I, I wouldn't say like, you know, people say, well, it's paleo Atkins. I'm like, no, because Atkins was like lots of protein and lots of meat. And I think it doesn't have to be that much. It's really a more of a plant rich diet with high quality animal protein intermittently and lots of good fats and, and eliminating grains and beans and dairy for a reason, which is that, you know, dairy is a very inflammatory food. So it's a very, how do you move to an anti-inflammatory diet? Uh, and we can go into dairy in a minute. And two, it eliminates grains and beans, which for some people can be fine and well tolerated. It's really the, the situation of that patient. If they are overweight, pre-diabetic, which is one in two Americans, 70% of us are overweight, 40% obese now. And if, and if they have gut issues or autoimmune issues, it may be worth the trial of an elimination of those foods. Um, you know, I, I just had a patient who had ulcerative colitis and I, I, she was struggling and struggling. She was a vegan. And I said, listen, just switch over your diet to this. She started eating meat and so I get off grains and beans and dairy and see what happens and sugar. And she's like, I'm better. And, you know, we hear this all the time. So again, it's personalized. It's not like it's a, grains and beans are always bad. It right. just depends on the person and what grains and what beans, right? So that's what I do in the book. I go through each area. If you're going to eat meat, eat this meat. If you're going to eat eggs, eat these eggs. If you're going to eat vegetables, here's the ones you should focus on. If you're going to have grains, here's the ones to eat. Here's the ones to not eat. For example, gluten grains are probably not great for most people, especially wheat because of how it's grown and processed, which is essentially hybridized to, to give a high level of amylopectin A, which is a super starch. It, it, the way that plant breeding goes, they add genes. They don't, they're not like getting a pair from each parent. So you get like extra genes and the ones in, in the dwarf wheat are full of anti, uh, very inflammatory gliden proteins. We also spray all the wheat at harvest by, with glyphosate, which has issues around affecting the microbiome, glutathione status, as well as potential cancer risk. And then they, then they, and then they preserve the, the flour with calcium propionate, which is a uh, preservative, but it's a short chain fatty acid propionate that's been shown to cause autism in animal models and is, not the greatest yes. uh, short chain fat. So like, you know, you're, <laughs> you're basically screwing yourself by eating that food, but you can eat, for example, buckwheat or quinoa or amaranth or black rice or wild rice. Those are fine to eat. Again, the dose is the problem, right? If you eat two cups a day, that's a lot of starch. You know, if you eat three cups of beans a day, which is six ounces of protein in, uh, in a meat or fish or chicken, that's a hundred grams of carbs versus zero when you eat the animal protein. Right, right. So my mom's now, some of it's fiber, but of course it's, there's still a lot. Yeah, there are, there's still quite a few carbs. A couple of questions around that. Um, dairy is, is inflammatory, but there are schools of thought who use raw dairy. They ferment, et cetera. Any comments on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, everybody's different and, you know, historically we really never ate that much dairy and I think our guts are such a mess and there's so much inflammation in our diet. Even raw dairy I think is an issue. The issue for me isn't whether it's raw or not, it's whether, what type of casein is in it. So if you look at, if you're getting raw dairy from a cow that's been you know, hybridized and it's an all an A1 casein cow, it's still going to be a problem. For example, if you eat goat or sheep, it could be raw or not, that has A2 casein which is less, less inflammatory, less likely to cause eczema, asthma, also less likely to cause gut issues and inflammation. So you, you might want to focus on more A2 casein sources of dairy if you're going to eat that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So in certain patients, they may be able to tolerate uh, goat source without a problem. Yeah. I okay. noticed that. I, I, I once had goat milk. I hate milk. <laughs> um, but I, I found that uh, when I used goat milk, I didn't have any of the normal symptoms. I usually get congested. I usually get terrible gas. I get pimples. I didn't get any of that having goat milk. 
Nice. Try it out. Yeah. So you can imbibe in the periodic piece of goat milk cheese or something like that without yeah. a. No <laughs> good, good, good. So my mom this week threw caution to the wind and made heirloom wheat bread. She used, is it what is it called? Einkorn. Einkorn. Yeah, and it and she brought a piece over to me a little bit of because I don't do a heck of a lot of grains myself, and it was actually really nice. It was delicious. Um, what are your What are you your position on on the heirloom? Gluten yeah, of course. I think, you know, if you're not celiac, if you don't have gluten sensitivity, which is probably 20% of the population, you want to enjoy it. It's much lower glycemic. It has more phytochemicals and lignans in it. Uh, it's actually got different gliadin proteins in it. So yeah, I think something like that is, is okay if someone wants to try it. Yeah. Like I find, you know, like dark German rye bread because rye isn't so messed with. Uh, you know, that can be also really good. A whole kernel rye for people who do it, it can improve insulin sensitivity. It can, has a lot of nutrigenomic effects. This is so radical of you, Dr. Hyman. What? <laughs> a little bit of grain. No, I love it. I'm teasing you. And, no, and, you know, I, that's the whole point of the book. It's like, okay, yes. wait a minute. Everybody, like, just chill out for a Take minute. Take a breath. Take right? a breath. Like, let's right. really look at what's going on, and let's like, see how to personalize it. Yeah. If someone Amen. comes with an autoimmune disease, I'm like, and they're celiac. I'm like, no, you can't have einkorn wheat. But, like, right. you know. Well, and look at the Blue Zone data. I mean, I just love that research. It's so it's just so heartening because it's way more balanced. And if you look at what they're eating, they're eating beans and they're eating some grains, but they also have fabulous community and exercise and they've got all of these lifestyle components. And of course their sources are probably cleaner. Any comments there? Yeah, they are. I mean, I think they can be for sure. Um, all right. So why don't you give me some of the, like talk to me about what you're eating these days, this pegan diet. Well, what am I eating for a pegan diet? So, uh, let's see. What did I eat this morning? The other day I went to Bulletproof Coffee and I had, and Santa Monica was traveling around. And I, had, <laughs> I had a Bulletproof Coffee, which I don't have every day, but I love it. Uh, it really makes my brain go, wee. And then uh, I had eggs, like pasture-raised eggs, some sort of organic bacon, uh, avocado with olive oil, salt and pepper. That was my breakfast. Uh, lunch, I had... Uh, zucchini noodle pad thai uh, with organic chicken and a spatula soup. And then for dinner, I went out to a Vietnamese restaurant and oh my God, it was so good. It was like a special one in California, but uh, they had uh, like all these veggies, yams and Chinese broccoli and fish and shrimp. And it was, it was great. I mean, so I tend to eat, you know, very low levels of grains and beans. Uh, you know, if I, if I, what I always try to do is I order, if I go out, order three or four vegetables at home, I always, if you look at my plate, it's literally like, um, you know, three quarters plant foods, mushrooms, vegetables, salad, whatever I can get. And then, uh, and then your animal protein, I think you say in your book, is a, sort of like a condiment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I have basically, you know, I'll have, you know, four to six ounces of protein uh, often at dinner, um, you know, organic chicken or grass-finished meat or lamb or, you know, fish, small fish. I'll often have a can of sardines or wild salmon at lunch. So stuff like that. Pretty, pretty simple. I eat pretty simply and deliciously. Morning, we make an alkalizer shake, which is essentially like a ton of veggies and avocados and lemon and ginger, and we throw it in a blender like a Vitamix, and it's like a smoothie. It sounds really yummy. All right, I'm sorry. It sounds really good. I know I was like rooting around your kitchen one day when we were working on the case studies book, and it was, you had some good eats there. Um, all right. So 
organic obviously it's extremely important and buying you know buying these these um regenerative agricultural sourced meats and looking into that which i think is a great idea and i will explore that on thrive um is important you know and some of us can do it and some of us can't so you know organic this 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 world it's expensive so how do you how do you talk to the general population well there's been studies done on this so you know if to eat healthy is about a dollar or more a day um, and that's only because the real price of the food we're eating isn't embedded in the price. For example, what's the real price of a can of soda or junk food? Um, it's not accounted for in the price at the checkout counter. Why? Because when you mm. grow food and deplete the soil to grow corn syrup, for example, you use uh, nitrogen fertilizers that run off in the sea, that in the rivers, rivers and lakes, it causes dead zones, environmental degradation, you increase pesticide exposure, you, which creates disease, you actually deplete the soils, which contributes to climate change. Uh, and then of course you have people eat this, it costs, costs huge amounts in chronic disease, disability, lowered quality of life, and then of course Medicare, Medicaid. So like, you know, and then we're paying for it with- The cost of a Coke. Dollars. Yeah, and we're paying for it with taxpayers' dollars, with food stamps. Like what is the cost of Coke? Could be a hundred bucks, right? Yeah. But you know, vegetables and fruits have gone up 40%, while soda's gone down 40% in cost over the last 40 years. So this is like, this is the problem. So even though this is true, mm -hmm. it's still only about a dollar a day more and even can be done for less. And so I always think it's a hierarchy of priorities. If you're eating a total junk food diet and you switch to a whole foods diet, you actually can make profound changes uh, in your diet and don't have to break the bank. I, I work for a group called the Environmental Working Group and they have a guide called eat a good food on a tight budget, which is how do you good for you, good for your wallet and good for um, your, the planet. And, and essentially, uh, you know, I gave this to a poor family living in a trailer in South Carolina, one of the worst food deserts in America. And they lost hundreds of pounds just by switching over. You don't have to buy a $70 grass fed ribeye steak, you know, mm -hmm. and you can just eat regular feedlot meat. It's not the best, but it's better than anything else. Right. So, if you get off of all the junk and then you, you just make choices and then there's all these great resources online like thrivemarket.com or have everything at 25 to 50% off, even the meats and stuff. So you can get really access to high quality food through different distribution channels now online. Um, and I think that's doable for people. There's a, there's a real sort of, shift in how you approach your food supply I think when you're moving into eating cleanly and you want to do so affordably so yeah. it's not just running out to the Kroger and you know grabbing what's in front of you which oftentimes is a lot of crap it's actually ordering it maybe planning a little bit ahead and and then it and that I and it's true it can become much more reasonably priced did you happen to see that Forbes article by Stephen Savage on his takedown on the environmental working group dirty dozen clean 15 <laughs> No. That's okay. I mean, it's okay. I, I, it was just, we were just batting it around a little bit recently here. And, you know, he was just challenging the utility of it and, and, and quoted some farmers, both conventional and organic, although I suspect the organic farmers were part of the agribusiness group, you know, arguing that, you know, we should be eating conventional, that it's as safe. It's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting read. And we're, we're generating our rebuttal now, but um, so his argument was, and, and he quoted some organic farmers that, you know, basically um, don't worry about conventional. Comments? Yeah. Well, what I'm interested in is who these people are, because I can tell you that um, 
I've had articles written about me in Forbes magazine. When you dig down into who these people are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they worked. He, for example, this guy worked at DuPont. <laughs> yes. Know? Well, and he actually, um, dis- he actually, this guy actually disclosed at the end of the article. I was amazed that it was so easy to find that he is indeed a consultant to agribusiness. Right. So he's a consultant to agribusiness. He's probably paid for by Monsanto. They're, they're you know, often part of the, uh, things called like the American Council on Health and Science, which is basically Monsanto front group. So you dig down on these people. Like I, this woman wrote this article about um, me and, uh, and it was a real takedown. And she, then I looked who she was and she was part of the genetic literacy group, which is a front group for Monsanto. Uh, so it's like, yeah. you know. Yeah, do a little digging and sometimes not much digging to find yeah, it. Yeah, no, it doesn't take much. I mean, yeah, I mean, the guys who, for example, came after Dr. Oz, one of them was in jail for eight years for Medicare fraud. The other one took $30 million from Monsanto. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> you just got to do a little digging. Wow. You are, and you're like, whoa. Of course, they're, you know. Isn't yeah. that fascinating? Oh, of course, that was missed by the media, but that's that's really wild. Wow. Um, all right, so I have... I have one last question for you. You know, again, circling back to the fact that most of the folks listening to our podcast are clinicians. And I'm, I want to talk about the quote unquote orthorexic patient that we're seeing in our practice yeah, more and more. That. Yeah, that's so bad. Yeah, so the person coming who's on a micro diet, really restricted, um, uh, thinks that they're reactive to everything. They've pulled out oxalates and salicylates and, you know, they're sensitive to, you know, all the, all the beans and of course grains, maybe minimal meat, et cetera. But, but it's, a, it can be a challenging, we're seeing this yeah, yeah. more and more. I mean, back in For the sure. day, For we sure. were the ones who took them off of gluten and now we have people coming and we actually have to expand their diet. All right. So talk about that, what you're doing, what you think about it. Yes, for sure. I think that, that there is a real challenge here with patients who, you know, tend to sort of, get stuck on extreme beliefs, behaviors. And I think, you know, orthorexia is a real problem. I, I, I think the fun perspective for functional medicine is that resilience is the goal, not restriction. And that the goal of functional medicine is to help restore balance, integrity, and resilience and metabolic degrees of freedom in your health and not to be more and more and more restricted. And I think, you know, there are people who do, who do overinterpret this or doctors who overinterpret, for example, food sensitivity testing. These are, these are not definitive. They show leaky gut that needs to be fixed. They can go down. So I think it's really important to sort of put in context. And I think, uh, you know, people who, who are really restricted, uh, you know, there are some who really legitimately are reactive, but for most of them, it's more of a sort of a psycho emotional thing that they get stuck on this fear around food and, and I think that's really a problem. Yeah, I agree. You know, there's an interesting, we're thinking about with regard to our allergic patients, I'm sure you're familiar with introducing peanut at a younger age, you know, in infancy to stave off peanut allergy. And there's massive success with that yeah. study that came out. Yeah, yeah. And so there's, you know, a lot of us have we've been we've been using elimination diets for years and one of the things i've been circling on sort of springboarding off this peanut study and some other research was um allowing you know doing micro exposures to things that people could become sensitive to to limit the possibility of reactivity um 
In fact, there's this company out, I think it's called Spoon One, that has these just micro exposures of the top antigenic foods that you can introduce early in childhood to develop tolerance to those foods they might encounter later in life, even though they may, you know, you may not want them to eat dairy or wheat, et cetera. But yeah. you can at least develop tolerance early on. And I think it's fascinating and I think it's important. And I think us, you know, we're going to circle back to this balanced position that you're articulating um, yeah. because if we're too restricted for too long, we can actually induce hypersensitivities. No, it's true. It's so true. Yeah. I, I want to come back to this guy that you mentioned, Steve Savage, because <laughs> I literally just looked for two seconds on the internet while we're talking. Okay. What'd you he, mind? He works for the Crop Life Foundation, which, which has as its mission advanced sustainable agriculture through and public health through science and education. The funders include Monsanto, BASF, which is a chemical company, Dow Chemical, DuPont Chemical, Bayer Crop Science, which is all G, uh, GMO, uh, Syngenta. Well, <laughs> I, mean, there you go. I mean, this is why these people write this stuff. It's not because it's true. It's, it's just a form of propaganda. And I think it's really unfortunate that Forbes magazine lets these people write this crap yes. without any any filter and actually yeah. uh, no counterpoint and and no no overall sort of investigative reporting and that they, they basically allow propaganda from the food industry to be presented as some independent scientist sharing his views. I think that's a problem. Well, in it, within the article, Savage um, attacks environmental working group because they're funded by by organic farmers. And that was, right. you know, and that's a conflict of interest that he pointed out in, in his actual article, even though you just found that he's sponsored by, you know, the ugliest of agribusiness. Right. Well, Dr. Hyman, it has been lovely to talk to you, and I look forward to our paths crossing in person. Tell me, actually, before we go, what are you up to? Cleveland Clinic has just epically expanded. Things are growing. I mean, what do you see the, not only are what, what are you up to in Cleveland Clinic, but just the global functional medicine movement, any kind of insight into what's happening? It's a big open-ended question. Speak to well, all of that. A lot. I mean, a, a couple of things. One, uh, you know, Cleveland Clinic, we're just continuing to grow and expand and really prove the model of functional medicine for value-based care and community-based medicine. And I'm super excited about that. And we're, we're super excited. We're just working with the, chi the chair of the D Digestive Disease Institute. We're launching programs on gut and irritable bowel and, and uh, IBD, and it's, it's kind of fun. Um, second, uh, I'm starting a new podcast uh, called The oh. Doctor's Pharmacy. That's F-A-R-M-A-C-Y. And really talk about issues around food and medicine and, and really get deep conversations going about how we, how we really rethink our approach to what's happening in the world of food and medicine. And um, I, yeah, I'm writing another book on food injustice. Really? Which, yeah, which is, it's is exactly this thing. So like people don't understand that there's this machine that's driving narratives around what's true and not true that's highly corrupt and industry funded. And, and, and this was a perfect example just doing this podcast, this guy, Steve Savage, who's basically a shill for, the, for, the, for Big Ag and for, for, you know, Monsanto and all the companies that are producing chemicals and pesticides. I mean, this is, and they, they say, we're a sustainable agriculture, crop life. It's like, it's nonsense, yeah. right? So I think that um, I'm excited about exposing that story, helping people connect the dots um, and, and tell the story about how food is connected to everything from the environment to our health to the economy. Yes. Uh, and so forth. It's a really 
really important story. And yeah. I'm glad you're getting in there and, and exposing it. Really important. All right, Mark. It's, you. Yeah, it's been lovely to talk to you too. And um, we'll connect soon. And that wraps up another amazing conversation with a great mind in functional medicine. I am so glad that you could join me. None of this would be possible through the years without our generous, wonderful sponsors, including Integrative Therapeutics, Metagenics, and Biotics. These are companies that I trust and I use with my patients every single day. Visit them at integrativepro.com, bioticsresearch.com, and metagenics.com. Please tell them that I sent you and thank them for making new frontiers in functional medicine possible. And one more thing, leave a review and a thumbs up on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you're hearing my voice. Um, these kind of comments will promote new frontiers in functional medicine, getting the word on functional medicine out there to the greater community. And for that, I thank you. Until next time.